If you're interested a little bit more about child trafficking, Trudy's, cha- well, Trudy's got a chapter on it in her book, chapter 16, I think it is. Um, and if you'd like to know and follow us on our story, uh, please do sign up to the newsletter. We've got um, a pen and paper on the table. Just sign up there. <coughs> I notice as I was looking around the room here that you have done Alpha. Is it Alpha, this, this church, or is it another church that's done Alpha? You've done Alpha here. Uh, we did Alpha... Um, I did Alpha for about uh, eight years. I think we did about nine courses back-to-back at one point uh, over that time. And um, it's always difficult to gauge the fruit, and I'll explain a little bit more about that later. But um, one of the stories in Alpha I just want to tell you about, and um, I'm not sure if it's true or not, but anyway, it was a a funny story, I hope. Um, And that's about um, two boys that their parents were struggling with. I don't know if you've ever struggled... Uh, with the discipline of your children and um, they decided to send their two boys who are age 8 and 10 to the vicar to see if he could sort them out so they sent the 8 year old first and the 8 year old sat down in front of the vicar in his office and they said to him and the vicar said to him where is God and the little boy looked blank so the vicar looked at him again he says where is God and the little boy looked a little bit blank and a little bit frightened and then the vicar put his finger in and says, where is God? And the little boy just ran out of the office, ran straight home, went straight up into his bedroom. And his brother knocked on the door. And he said, and the, little boy, the, old, the younger one turned to his older brother and he said, we've done it now. He says, what? What's happened? He said, they've lost God and they're blaming us. <laughs> but do you know, sometimes when we go through difficult situations in our lives and hardship, we might ask that same question as well. Where's God in it all? Or where was God when I needed him? And um, I'd like to speak on this morning that God is with you in the fire. God is with you in the struggles. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you. He's with you. And I don't know um, if this message is for you particularly this morning, but during the week I was going to speak on something different. And I felt the Lord quite clearly lead me to the story of uh, Daniel. And so I've changed my uh, uh, preaching, what I was going to preach on, and, um, and that's where we're going this morning. We're going to look at uh, Daniel's friends um, in the Old Testament in a moment, in the book of Daniel, Daniel's three friends. But you know, in Hebrews 13 verse 5, uh, one of my favorite verses, it says, I will never leave you. And uh, the New Living Translation, which I'm going to be using this morning, says, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. I like that. I will never abandon you. Comforting to know that, isn't it? Whatever happens in your life, whatever you're going through, God is never going to abandon you. Um, For those of you who know your Bibles, there's a story of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and as one preacher I once heard say, to remember, to remember it, he said, your shack, my shack, and a bungalow, but I'm not sure if that's uh, quite true. Um, and together we're going to look to see how these three men respond literally uh, to be taken into the fire. Uh, and we can see what we can learn from them as they go through the fire. Uh, before we turn to the, to the story in uh, Daniel chapter 3, I just want to give a little bit of background to the story. It's set during the time 
of the Babylonian exile, when the Jews were taken out of their home, to, home country of Israel and taken away to Babylonia. And um, the king of Babylonia, we read in Daniel chapter 1, was given victory by God. Now, he thought he perhaps did it himself, but it was actually God who gave him the victory because God had had enough of the Israelites and he wanted to teach him a lesson. And he also allowed the king of Babylon to take the sacred objects from the temple in Jerusalem and the king of Babylon placed him in the treasure house of his God which wasn't the God that the Israelites served then the king took some of Judah's finest young men back with him to Babylon to be trained in the royal service and these three men were Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and of course Daniel that many of you will know about Daniel the man who was in the lion's den and um there are some great stories in the Old Testament, aren't there? And I've always thought, I've always wondered why it was that we have such great stories in the Old Testament until you teach Sunday school. And then you realise why God has made things so wonderful for children. So you've got the story of Noah and all the children. What a great story that is. It's used in schools who don't even believe in the Bible because it's such a great story. You've got the story, as I said, of Daniel. You've got the story of David and Goliath. Giants. It, it's for children's imagination. And that's why I believe God put them in the Old Testament. Great stories, so that the children would love the stories and grow up to know them and to know God. And made it a lot easier for Sunday school teachers as well. Some great stories and materials for us to use. Because it could have been a boring old book, the Old Testament, but it's full of wonderful stories. And I'd encourage you to read this book, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well. Now Daniel, as we know, the man in, who uh, was put in the lion's den, he interpreted dreams for King Nebuchadnezzar, this same king. And the king therefore appointed him to be ruler over the provinces, provinces of Babylon. Uh, and then Daniel requested that his three friends helped him. Uh, and the king then went on. He decided to set up a 90-foot statue and nine feet wide, a massive thing. Um, and let's read what the king decided to say once he built this statue. We read it from Daniel chapter 3, verses 4 to 18. Uh, then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, lyre harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow down to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the god statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king! You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I will give you one more chance. 
to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue from my power? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. What a reply. What a response. In verse 16 we do not need to defend ourselves before you do you know they accepted it there is no defense there's no what are you saying king nebuchadnezzar don't you remember how our friend daniel helped you to interpret the dreams and we've been serving you as governors looking after the provinces and this is the way you treat us you know, sometimes in our lives we can feel we don't get treated right by others. We feel it's unfair. We ask, where's the justice here? You know, sometimes it can be other Christians who treat us unfairly. Now that's hard to take as well. Uh, when we were in Thailand the first time, we were in charge of an English centre. We actually didn't want to be in charge of an English centre. Uh, we wanted to go to Bangkok and work uh, in a, with this other uh, pastor, Thai pastor. Uh, but the Thai field, who were, who were um, the Thai committee, asked us to step in and uh, to lead this English centre because the couple who were running it were struggling. Um, one of the guys, he was um, struggling with depression and also um, they'd had a, a tragic accident which had happened and they really felt they weren't in a position to carry on leading it. So they asked us to take it on, which we reluctantly did because we really had our heart to go to Bangkok, but we felt, well, we would do this. So we took it on, and after a while there were some difficulties and issues between us and the other couple. Um, we realised later the main reason for that was the other couple were not told that we were taking over. We were told, they were told that we were working alongside them, but we were told that we were going to be in charge. So can you imagine the dynamics which were happening? So eventually the leader of the, of the mission saw us before she went away for a year, and she said, Rob, I understand what's happening. It's a difficult situation for you guys. Uh, if anything happens... You know, you just carry on and the others will just be given another job to do. You just carry on because we, we have confidence in you. So we said, oh, thank you very much. But while she was away, the committee met together and they decided that they were going to deal with this issue and sort it out once and for all. And that was a very complex issue which only the leader really knew about. So she, they got us in a room and at the end of the, of the talk between us, they decided that I was going to be asked to step down and truly as the, the main leaders and we were going to work together. And we came out of the room completely confused. And we thought, what's happened? And I actually felt really humiliated because I'd been given this job to do, both of us had, and, and we felt we'd led it well and it all suddenly fell apart. And we were at the point of actually resigning and coming back because we felt so hurt by it. About four months later, so I had to, we carried on, and we, we worked together in partnership, although in actual fact, because the other guy wasn't able to leave, we ended up leading it again. But when the field leader came back, she saw me, and she said, I'm so sorry about what has happened. And I went through the situation, she said, yeah, I completely understand it. The committee should never have done that. What they did was wrong. 
And she said, what would you like from them? I said, I'd like an apology, please. And she said, well, they're not going to give you an apology because what they felt they did was right at the time and they've told me they're not prepared to apologise. And do you know, I felt so hurt. What I was asking for was an apology and, and they weren't going to give it. But do you know what? I felt the Lord say, forgive anyway. And it wasn't an easy thing to forgive. But eventually I did. And at the airport, the, the main guy who was leading the, the committee was at the airport to see us off. And when I hugged him, I felt I'd forgiven him. And do you know what a good test of forgiveness? I know you've been doing this as a study recently. But a good test for me of forgiveness is, is when you hear news about that person and they're doing well, are you happy or are you sad? And that, for me, is a test of forgiveness. Because if you're happy, that means you've truly forgiven them because you want what's best for them. And to be fair, on this occasion, it doesn't always happen, but this occasion I really felt when I heard good things were happening to this guy, I felt for him. And when sad things were happening for him, I felt really sad for him as well. But you know, it's difficult sometimes when what you think is justice doesn't happen. And it's hard to get over it, isn't it? And particularly if it's from people that you expect better from. But you know, these men seem to accept their sentence without complaining. There is no mention of them pleading with God. Why have you let this happen? Why have you allowed this to happen? They do not blame God or complain. Instead, they just trust him. I don't know what your thoughts would have been if you had felt you had faithfully served God and this was going to be your end. God, what's happening? We don't actually read it. Maybe it was too quick. But you know, there are people in this life who have very difficult circumstances and they have to accept it. Or maybe they don't always accept it. But I want to tell you a quick story about a man that we knew in Thailand who was born with um, cerebral malaria. Sorry, but after he was born, he had cerebral malaria. And it left him quite um, handicapped. Um, he had almost like a stroke-like features on his right-hand side. He couldn't speak properly. Um, in actual fact, he couldn't speak at all. And the only thing he could really use was his right hand. Um, and he could use a computer just to touch um, a screen. So when he wanted to communicate with people, although he could hear and he could function fine, because of his disability, he wasn't able to uh, communicate with his mouth. So he'd touch the screen. So he'd write in Thai, hi, Rob, how are you today? And then I'd say, I'm fine. And then he'd type in again, boom, 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 boom. Um, what's happening about this? And then I'd explain to him. And he would come around and, and not normally be a 10-minute conversation would be an hour and a half. But we felt the, that the lad was worth spending time with. And um, we actually, in fact, he produced some cards that we sold for him. And God was really, really blessed this young man. But you know what? He never once, when he communicated with, with me, said, why has God allowed this? Never once did he complain and say, my situation is so difficult. And that taught me a huge lesson about how to accept what God has given you. And you know what, John, on a Sunday morning, it took a lot for him to raise his arm. But when we were worshipping, he would raise his hand. It was quite painful for him. He would raise his hand in worship. And this man became a very close friend to us. And just before we left to go to Thailand, uh, to come back to the UK, he gave us a gift. Now, most people, when they give you a gift, just before you're about to leave, you, your heart sinks, doesn't it? Because you think, I packed my bags. The last thing I want to do now is find a place to put a gift in. But this man spent three months 
drawing a picture for us. Now, he couldn't draw with his hand because it wasn't steady enough. So he used to draw with his mouth. And that's what he drew. And this is probably our most treasured picture that we have. And that's been up on our wall in in Worthing for the last 10 years. He was a man who accepted his circumstances and he praised God. So firstly, they accepted their situation. And you know what? My faith grew during my time of trial. And you know, sometimes we look back and we think, that was such a terrible situation. But in actual fact, faith can grow in the most difficult circumstances. In verse 17, we read again, If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. What believing faith. God is able. Do you know, God is ultimately in control of our lives. Not man and not the devil. Although we don't always understand the whys, let's still trust him. Do you know this morning personally, the God who is able to save, as he saves you? Do you know, as we've been singing about this morning, to be saved is to be set free. And to some people, it's more obvious than others to be set free. I've got someone this week that I've been helping with to try and get them into Battelle, which is the uh, drug rehabilitation centre community for people with uh, alcoholic and uh, drug addictions. It's only a young man. And um, he realises that he can't do it on his own anymore. He needs help. He's been struggling with this addiction for a number of years. And it's got to the point where it's affected his relationships and it's affecting his job and he says I'm going to give up 18 months of my life now and I'm going to go into rehab and we managed to get him a place in Birmingham but he realises he needs to be set free and everyone else would say yeah he needs to be set free but you know other people sometimes they don't seem to understand that they need to, to be saved My experience today is that people seem to take more time to make decisions about whether they accept Jesus or not. I don't know if you found that. In the past, maybe, perhaps because of the the understanding of the Christian uh, lifestyle as they grew up, perhaps at school, they had a background knowledge. But today, people, I've discovered, do not have a background knowledge of the Bible. And so it takes longer. And we've been working with some guys that I've been praying for. I think I mentioned it last time I came. I prayed for five people, and two of those came to know the Lord. Now, there's another three that I'm still praying for. And um, two of those come to church each week. But they haven't actually really decided to follow Jesus. One particularly just comes along. His wife's a Christian, but he doesn't come. And he comes when she's not there. He's drawn by the friendship. And I want to encourage you guys, if you're working with other men, just to encourage them to to be friends with them and just let them take their time. The other guy, he's got to a point where he believes but he won't be baptised because he feels he's still got a Buddhist background and he really wants to make sure that he's clear. They're taking their time, these people. They're not being rushed into decisions. 
And really, we need to create environments in our churches where people can come in, they can listen, and not feel that they have to make a decision that day, otherwise they'll be rejected. But they become your friends. And eventually, we trust that they will make that step. One guy um, rang me this week. He said, I really want to be at your commissioning. And he did an Alpha course a few years ago. And he drifted away. And I remember the person I was doing the Alpha course said, so many people do the Alpha course and they drift away. But now they're starting to come back. And one girl came back after a year. And, um, and at the end of the Alpha course, she says, I don't, I, I'm not ready to make a decision. We said, that's fine. And she disappeared. And a year later, she walked in and she said, I've given my life to Jesus. And it's her husband who comes to church each week when she does, she's not even there. But this other man who disappeared again, he had a lot, quite a few problems in his life. And he rang me up a few months ago and he said, I've got this problem. And I said, I'll try and help you. And at the end of it, he says, I always ring you when I've got problems. And I said, I don't mind you ringing me when you've got your problem. That's fine. I said, but you know what you really need to do? And he said, what's that? I said, you really need to start going back to church again. I said, because God can speak to you in those situations. And this week he rang me and he said, Rob, I really want to be there on this Sunday for your, your, service, your commissioning service. He says, but what we've got is we've got our, um, our greet meeting at the church to welcome us as members into our church. And I thought, praise God. Isn't that wonderful that he's made that step now with his wife and his children to be committed to a church? Not necessarily our church, but a different church. And thirdly, these men were courageous, weren't they? Verse 18. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to your majesty that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. But even if God doesn't save us, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. How courageous is that? That's real persecution, isn't it? They refuse to bow down and worship foreign gods means they die. What would you do in that situation? I don't know what I would do. Do you know real persecution is happening to brothers and sisters throughout the world right now, right today? And um, are you praying for them? Again, Trudy's written a book on, in a book on North Korea talks about um, a situation there. I haven't got time to read it now. talks about how to pray for North Korea, which is the most persecuted country in the world since 2012. The Open Doors number one watch list tells you that. And uh, we did a, a World Changes, a, a mission event recently, and we had, uh, a couple of years ago, we had some Kore North Korean believers come and share. And one of them was saying that when they're put into a prison cell, there's not enough room for them to sleep in. Can you believe that? So you have 15 or 20 in a small room. There's not enough room for them to sleep and lie down. So what they do, they have to take it in turns to lie down and sleep. There's only one um, water pipe for the whole um, prison area where they come. And they have to come out and uh, to take their turns to just use the water. They share toothbrushes together. This is real persecution. Why are they in, why are they in there? Purely because they're Christians, some of them. That's the only reason they're because they are Christians. And another lady, uh, we did another event, came to us. Her name was Suzanne Gesk. Her husband was martyred in Turkey because he was a Christian. And this lady was so courageous. 
her response wasn't that she went home afterwards. She stayed in Turkey and she loved the people. And do you know what the effect it had upon her children? One day, one of the children said, Mummy, I'd like to go, Mummy, I'd like to go and visit the children that killed Daddy in prison. And she said, why? She said, I want to forgive them. And I want them to come to know Jesus. So that when they get to heaven, they can ask Daddy to, they can ask Daddy to forgive them as well. Isn't that amazing? What courage. And she took her family and she kept her family in that country. When everyone was telling her to go back to England, uh, to Germany, where she was from. And she kept her, her family in that country. And the children grew up. What a witness. How courageous is that? You know, these three courageous men didn't doubt God during their time of trial. They didn't defend themselves. They accepted their circumstances. They were courageous. God was with them. And you know he's with you as well. And let's not forget that. Whatever you're going through this morning, God is with you. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you. So what happened in the story once they were thrown in? Well, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such hot fire on the surface, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officials, officers, governors and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not the hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. What an amazing miracle. We've been singing this morning about the power of God. That is the power of God, isn't it? And who was that person with them? It's Jesus, maybe, in another form, I don't know. An angel ministering, I don't know. But God was with them in the furnace. God was with them in the fire. I want you to know this morning, if you're a believer, that God is with you, just like in that story. In the fire, you're not abandoned. Recently we got, uh, sorry I'm running a bit out of time. Recently we got a, um, a book sent to us last week uh, called Dancing in the Light, the Extraordinary Story of Siobhan Miles. And it's a friend of ours, Glenn Miles, who worked as a missionary with YWAM uh, on the borders of um, Cambodia and then went into Cambodia himself. And he's had quite a tough life, a very tough life as a missionary. But only a, a year ago last year he lost his wife. They went on holiday together with their children to Scotland and they were perfectly fine, nothing wrong with them. And then during the holiday she suddenly developed, developed some 
uh, a fever and uh, he gave us some fluids. He rang the doctor and said, what should we do? And she developed some stomach pains and the doctor said, you're doing all you can. It's probably a virus, you'll be fine. The next day she was even worse and he rang again and they said the same advice. And then suddenly she got really bad pain in her side and, um, and she cried out in agony and he said, well, I need to take you to the hospital. So in actual fact, he didn't get that point. He was so concerned, he called an ambulance. The ambulance arrived. They took her in the ambulance, and halfway along, she needed resuscitating on the side of the road. He was there with his daughter in the car. They, the, um, the, he followed the ambulance to the A&E. They, they took her straight into resus, and they worked on her. She was crying. He heard her cry out once for him, but he wasn't allowed to go in. And then tragically, at the end of that time, and the, uh, the nurse or the doctor came out to him and said, I'm very, very sorry, but you've lost your wife. They went on a family holiday. There was nothing wrong with her, but at the end of the holiday, she was, she was died. She died. What would have been your response to that? He's written a book. I think it's really helped him to come to terms with the grief, and he's still grieving. It's a year on. He's left behind three children. Most of them are Two of them are grown-up, one's adopted. And she's, not, she's in her teenage years. I don't know what my response would have been. That must be the, one of the worst things that can happen to you, mustn't it? When a loved one like that is taken away from you without any warning at all. And how did he cope with it? And I don't know if I would have accepted it. I don't know if I would have been courageous. I don't know. And perhaps you, would, you don't know yourself how you would respond to such a thing as that. But you know what? I found comfort in a story from Corrie Ten Boom. Quick one. It says this. Corrie Ten Boom, she was in a, in a eventually ended up in a um, concentration camp. But be- before then, she was keeping Jews in her house to, uh, with her, her parents were. And they knew one day someone was going to find out. She said her father sat down on the edge of her narrow bed. Corrie, he began gently, when you go in and I go to Amsterdam, When do I give you your ticket? I sniffed a few times, considering this. Why? Just before we get on the train. Exactly. And our wise father in heaven knows that when we're going to need things too, don't run out ahead of him, Corrie. When the time comes that some of of us will have to die, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. You know, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But you know what? God will give you the grace you need if you're going through a tough time um, or something tragic happens like that not beforehand necessarily but at the time that you need it and I just want to finish with you with just um, this short story Trudy and I went through a difficult time um, a few years ago now and um, we really needed some support and help and I went to a prayer meeting and I asked some guys to pray for me and when they prayed he quoted from Genesis about the story of Joseph. Do you remember when he said, when the enemy meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And I found afterwards, that really spoke to me, that that was really the word of God to me. And when I came home, before I was able to share it with Trudy, she said, God's been speaking to me in the car from a song by, Martin, uh, by Michael W. Smith. I think it's called Sovereign Lord. And it's the verse in it which said, when the enemy meant it for evil, God meant it for good. I said, that's staggering. I said, that's what God spoke to me this morning in the prayer meeting. 
she truly went to church and she shared that with Josh in the car because Josh was going to band practice and when he got to the church um, she dropped him off and when she went to pick him up she came up the stairs and guess what song they were playing Sovereign Lord and as she went up the stairs Joshua called out to mum and said mum they're playing your song he recognised how significant it was isn't that wonderful how God did that and do you know what they never played that song on Sunday and they never ever played that song again it was the only time we ever heard it in our church was when we needed to hear it and that's how good God is to us isn't he in our moments of trial and our moments of difficulty God is able to do above what even we might ask or think so God is with us he hasn't abandoned us are you going through the fire this morning I encourage you to be strong and courageous knowing you're not on your own even though it might seem like you are at present and if your question is where is God the answer he's with you amen I'm sorry for going over time sorry Thank you.